welcome to this BGSM podcast. My name is Stefan Griffin. I'm a junior doctor and a member of the BGSM editorial team. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Brooke Patterson. Brooke is a physiotherapist who's currently completing her PhD at the Latrobe Sport and Exercise Medicine Research Centre in Melbourne, investigating the impact of ACL injuries on the lives of young adults. Brooke played several seasons in the AFL National Women's Competition and has recently transitioned to becoming a coach. You'll be hearing more from Brooke, uh, who will be hosting some BGSM podcasts over the coming months. So we thought we'd take this opportunity to get to know Brooke and her research a bit more. Welcome to the podcast, Brooke. Before we get started, maybe for listeners who haven't listened to your previous podcast on making football safer for women, can you just tell us a little bit about your, your background, both sporting and scientific, as well as your ongoing research interests at the moment? Thanks, Stefan. Yeah, I'm very excited and yeah, feeling pretty chuffed to be here. So um, yeah, I guess as a young athlete, I grew up in a small town in Tasmania, pretty sm- sporting mad. I had eight broken arms growing up was always playing footy with the boys, um, which I was mostly accepted for for doing, but also copped, you know, the typical teasing and hair pulling at times, um, which is why when, yeah, the opportunity came, came up later in life to play football again, I quit my main sport in basketball. Um, I was initially pretty tentative, but then, yeah, really glad that I made that decision. Uh, I was lucky enough to play in the first three years of the National AFL Women's Competition for the Melbourne Football Club. Uh, now I'm a little bit old and broken, and um, but really loving my role as a development coach for the senior and assistant coach for the reserves. So, um, yeah, my journey from that little girl that was potentially teased a little bit to seeing uh, the elite competition grow um, and break down those stereotypes has been very rewarding. And it's also helped form a lot of my passions and research interests as well. Um, The three years that um, I played actually coincided with the first three years of my PhD. Uh, Before that, I completed uh, my physiotherapy training, uh, an honours degree, which included a research project in ACL injuries and the recovery of postural control. And that was under the guidance of Kate Webster and Clara Dern. Um, halfway through that project, I actually ruptured my ACL playing basketball, um, really got the full experience of the project. Uh, I had a delayed reconstruction after that and then got back playing for a couple of years uh, before I had to have a meniscectomy for after another incident. And then I uh, worked clinically for five years uh, in hospital, private practice and sports settings after my undergrad. And then uh, I guess a twist of fate led me to meet Dr. Adam Colvener, who I was a participant in his longitudinal ACL study. Um, funnily enough, I tried so hard in the testing, I crashed my car in the car park as I was leaving. And anyway, I got chatting to Adam after that and he suggested I could apply to do a PhD under him and um, Professor Kay Crosley and take over the five-year follow-up of the study I was actually a participant in. Uh, and then, you know, chatting to them and learning more about the research centre, I probably wasn't quite ready to go into a PhD. I was kind of loving being a sports physio, um, but it just, yeah, it was clearly an amazing opportunity to work with those people. And yeah, the, the rest is history really. And yeah, I guess, Stephanie, if, um, the 
listeners wanted to know a little bit more about my PhD, it investigated the um, factors associated with the early signs of post-traumatic OA in the first five years after ACL reconstruction. Moving on to, to more of the research stuff now, ACL and osteoarthritis are two absolutely you know, hot topics. And why do you think these are such a crucial issue in sports medicine? Yeah, thanks, Stefan. So, yeah, my interests really are around that primary and secondary prevention of osteoarthritis after ACL injury. So either by preventing that first injury in a, in a sports setting or optimising the rehab after injury. And, yeah, obviously I have a specific interest in the female athlete from my experiences. And as we know, they do have a higher risk of serious knee injury. And, and there is some evidence to suggest that, uh, that female also have inferior outcomes after injury as well. So um, yeah, it's, it's a hot topic and obviously a really important topic um, because yeah, we want to reduce that burden of early onset osteoarthritis, which is often associated with poor quality of life uh, reduced physical activity. Uh, they often have to have a total knee replacement at a young age. And there's even now some evidence to suggest that um, after an ACL injury, you're at a greater risk of cardiovascular disease as well. So these young people, they sustain the injury in their teens or their 20s, and then they're only 30 or 40 when the burden really starts to impact them. So I believe the work um, in that secondary prevention of OA and optimising the rehab is really important from that perspective. Um, but I also believe the work in injury prevention, obviously, if we can prevent them, um, that's great. But the work in injury prevention coach education, I think, also has a, the potential to have much broader impacts um, to increase physical activity and sports participation as well. So one of the reasons uh, adolescent girls choose not to participate or drop out um, is because they don't feel like they have the physical capabilities and parents uh, are worried about injury. Um, the girls may lack confidence. And so these holistic injury prevention programs, I think, can give coaches and parents and players the confidence that they are best preparing their players to cope with the demands of the sport and give them really skills for life. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, they're both two really interesting areas and they're very broad. Brilliant. And some pretty astounding figures there that you mentioned, for both from an MSK point of view, but also kind of wider field. Um, obviously, being being a PhD student in this area, like you said, you're focusing quite broad at the moment. Um, where are the next big breakthroughs, do you think, when it comes to um, both ACL and then early onset OA? I think primary prevention strategies are probably a bit more advanced than some of the secondary prevention or optimising management strategies. So uh, we know from a lot of the great work in the past um, that neuromuscular training programs can reduce all types of injuries, particularly ACLs. And but I think the biggest breakthrough in that space is going to be in implementation. So after these projects end, they show that, you know, you can reduce injuries by up to 50%, but the use of the programs often end at the end of that project. So uh, we need to be able to design implementation strategies that are sustainable and real world. Um, part of this, I think, is sharing the load so uh, amongst coaches players parents the sporting codes and administrators and uh, there needs to be incentives for people to do things and whether that's um, ongoing proof of the effectiveness of the program and feeding back to those end users or uh, making the 
ed coach education are part of their compulsory accreditation or refresher courses that are led from that top level down, um, whether it's ambassadors and role modelling, um, all those types of things. I think we've got a long way to go and exploring to see if we can, you know, sustain the use of these programs. In terms of the secondary prevention, I think, yeah, there's a lot of breakthroughs to uh, to be made there as well. So injuries do happen and they're definitely a part of sport. I've experienced a lot more than my ACL as well. I'm pretty old and broken at the moment, but um, so we do need some breakthroughs to optimize the management um, after ACL injuries. So um, we need more evidence of what um, some of those modifiable factors are associated with good or poor outcomes to really help inform our intervention. So that was a lot of my PhD work. So we, um, no surprises, found that um, functional performance um, and a higher BMI were associated with an increased risk of early um, structural OA changes on MRI. Um, and then um, the second part of my PhD was actually um, getting those people with poor function and seeing if it was feasible to um, actually implement an exercise and education intervention at one year for those that were struggling at one year. So um, yeah, that's been really exciting. It's actually led to a large scale RCT that's um, about to start at La Trobe here to um, yeah recruit those people at nine to 12 months that have got poor function. And then we're gonna look at um, imaging changes and whether you know exercise um, can slow or halt that progression of OA. And um, the breakthroughs, I think, yeah, will come in knowing if, yeah, addressing some of those factors can slow the progression. And there's some initial evidence to suggest that those with early OA that moderate impact exercise may have a positive effect on joint structure and health. Um, and then there's that theory that underloading or overloading may have a detrimental um effect on joint health but we don't really know enough in that area so um, I think over the next um, few years we'll hopefully see more of that um, because too often you know we see especially in our cohort we see that these patients they don't return to sport or any kind of physical activity and um, they, they're just kind of floundering out there and not knowing what to do. People tell them, oh, you shouldn't squat, you shouldn't run, it'll wear out your knees. And um, so having a better understanding of that optimal joint loading and return to sport will, will be great for this field. And um, yeah, similar to primary prevention, we can have, you know, the greatest rehab program in the world but patients have to do it and healthcare systems need to support it so I am hoping that we also get some breakthroughs in terms of funding from a public and private healthcare system perspective for both primary and secondary prevention strategies. I'm going to put you uh, on the spot a little bit here so obviously you're quite uniquely placed as someone who's played the game to the highest level you know coaching in the game you have you you have treated you are treating um, and obviously looking after the health and well-being of current players. And you're also at the forefront of research in the area. Um, I don't know if it's a blank check that you need or if I was to give you three points. And if we focus this on, on injury prevention, what three points or three policies would you look to put in place? Oh, that's a very good question. You have put me on the spot here. Um, yeah, I think in terms of the primary prevention stuff, yeah, the first thing I would do is, um, and we've already made some great inroads in that, Australian Football League here have been very supportive of our research, is making, um, you know, it 
compulsory for coaches or clubs who are starting up female teams. So a lot of the clubs here are still, you know, they're all male clubs and then they're, you know, bringing in these women's teams that, you know, they have to go through a, or it's an online module or um, a workshop of, you know, all the things that you need to consider if you're going to start up um, female teams in, in your club. And part of that for coaches um, may be that they have to do a module or workshop on how to implement an injury prevention program. Um, so that's number one. Um, and then from a secondary prevention point of view, I think, um, yeah, I mentioned before that we need to know um, a lot more about that implementation and, you know, you can have the best rehab program in the world and unless people do it, then um, it's no use. So having, you know, funding bodies, whether it's private health um, insurers or public health systems that are investing in um good rehab um, and incentivising patients so they, you know, they're not just limited to, say, 15 sessions in the, the public health system or their their private health cover gives them, you know, if they are playing those high-risk sports, then there's a package in there that, you know, gives them X amount of rehab or they get extra sessions because, you know, we tend to run out at the end of the year and you can't go to physio anymore. You have to pay full price for it. So, Investing in those things from those healthcare systems, I think, is going to help in the long term save those um, companies money because, you know, hopefully they're not having, you know, a re-injury or um, early away or the knee replacement um, down the track. So um, that's two. Now I've got to think of a third one. <laughs> um, I think just, you know, more research into female athletes I know that's kind of pretty easy to say and um, but maybe some like data sharing initiatives will assist with this so clinicians and researchers around the world um, need to be on the same page so I think if we're collecting data in a standardized way for whatever condition it is um, then we're going to have more data to combine and be able to answer some of those more complex questions, which they tend to be in this area of ACL prevention and recovery. So, you know, consensus group statements and meetings all help with this. So, but these exercises are, you know, a huge amount of work and require a lot of cross-institutional collaboration and tertiary institutions and funding bodies may need to look at supporting some of these initiatives. So, um, yeah, that's my three. <laughs> Brilliant. And again, pretty comprehensive. Um, it leads perfectly on, Brooke, to another question. And it's kind of, again, around the broad um, topic of, of, of female athlete health and women in sport. And again, using kind of your experiences as a player, coach and a healthcare professional, um, if you, is there anything that you would want any physio, doctor, SNC coach um, working with elite female athletes to be more cognizant of um, or understand better? Have you got any insight from, from maybe some of your experiences? Yeah, thanks, Stefan. And um, yeah, having been in that environment and, you know, observing now coaches, um, some of these young girls come through the elite programs that have perhaps been in a little bit more of an, a sub-elite pathway. It is improving, but a lot of um, the women and girls come into these programs and they may not have been exposed to um, what it means to be an elite athlete. 
um, or they may not have been exposed to the gym or a lot of the skills that are kind of expected on the field now at that level. So um, as, a, as a physio or um, sports medicine professional or a coach, um, yeah, I think you just need to be aware that um, the girls may need that extra support, but they also want to know why they're doing certain things or exactly how to do certain things. And it's often that, you know, um, typical comparison made between um, male and female athletes is, you know, the, the females want to know why they're doing things and um, that really helps them, I guess, um, process um, and figure out what they need to do as an elite athlete. And then I think the other thing from probably a broader perspective is um, there's more and more uh, women coming into, you know, head doctor roles, physio roles, leadership positions. I think, yeah, we've still got a long way to go, but um, making that sporting environment as um, welcoming and open to everyone. So, um, yeah, that's something that, yeah, we're really aware of. Brilliant, Brooke. I think that that, tie, that ties things, uh, things up quite nicely. Um, as we mentioned at the very start of the podcast, you're going to be jumping on as a as a host. Um, so I, I know we're all really excited to, to listen to you uh, on your podcasts. Um, if listeners want to get in touch with you, I know you're on social media. Um, is that the best place to kind of find you? Yeah, you can um, um, follow me on Twitter at knee, so K-N-E-E underscore Howes, H-O-W-E-L-L-S. And yeah, you can um, direct message me on there if you've got any questions. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to um, hosting some of these podcasts. And yeah, from my interest, I think, you know, trying to increase some of the um, female voices on the podcast and highlighting some of the incredible women that are out there kicking goals in their careers on and off the field and yeah the BJSM community is a great platform to have an impact on so many different levels so um, yeah really looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to this BJSM podcast. We hope you found it entertaining and educational and hope you join us again soon.